Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. What a beautiful day. My name is Bill Arnold. I'm so glad that we're going to have a couple hours together. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to have my uh, friend Rob Bluey joining us, my Washington, D.C. correspondent. He's the man on the street in D.C. who knows what's going on. He's going to be joining me in just a minute. A little bit later in the hour, Greg Gilbert will be uh, coming on the program. He's written a book called Assured, Discover Grace, Let Go of Guilt, and Rest in Your Salvation. Uh, Albert Moeller uh, wrote one of the uh, recommendations for this book, and he said, the fact that Christians are assured of salvation is one of the greatest truths of God's word, one of the most cherished affirmations of the Reformation, and one of the central pillars of the faithful Christian life. In this timely book, Greg Gilbert, a tremendously gifted and faithful pastor theologian, presents a powerful case for assurance with deep biblical and pastoral insight. So after we learn about news of Washington, we're going to go right to the assurance of salvation. That's all in hour one. I know I'm looking forward to it. So let's just uh, take a little break and we come back. We'll be joined by Rob Bluey, executive editor of The Daily Signal. Do you long to feel God's presence? The Our Daily Bread, God Hears Her, daily devotional for women, brings hope from El Chama, the God who hears. With a daily devotional for women and by women, establish a practice of spending time reading God's Word and praying to the God who hears. We're giving away five copies of the God Hears Her daily devotional this week. Enter to win today at MyFaithRadio.com. That's MyFaithRadio.com. Listening to Faith Radio is convenient and easy on an Amazon Alexa or Echo device. Just say, enable Faith Radio to get started. Once the skill is enabled, say, play Faith Radio, and you'll hear the live stream. You can also access previous programs by listening to the podcast. Stay connected to Faith Radio at home, work, or anywhere there's an Alexa or Echo device. Learn more at MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. I love on Tuesdays. I get to always talk to Rob Bluey. He's the executive editor of The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com to learn all about uh, Rob and his uh, colleagues that do brilliant reporting and journalism, as journalism is not what it used to be. So I respect a great deal when it's done with integrity, and uh, it's always nice to have Rob on the show. Rob, welcome. Nice it's to have great you. to be back, Bill. Thanks for having me today. Thank you. You, uh, you, speak, you speak sanity into my brain. That's otherwise... <laughs> going insane. Well, I try. Look, we live in a, in a world where it seems every day we're confronted with uh, with new challenges, particularly those of us who are trying to make sense of it all in the, in the world of journalism and news. And uh, look, <laughs> this week is no different. In fact, uh, we've seen uh, already it's only Tuesday and uh, it's been quite a week. Let's face it, uh, Bill. I mean, tomorrow we've got Mueller coming to Capitol Hill, and that's going to really change the whole dynamics of everything that we, we know and uh, may have implications well into the future. Yeah. 
I just uh, want to put something in context. In 1970, the world's population was 3.6 billion, and the national debt was 450 billion. <laughs> 450 yeah. billion. Now, what are we? 23 trillion. That's right. Uh, the new uh, the new budget deal puts us on a path where we're going to be adding to that debt, and uh, that's not a good thing. I mean, this is just passing the uh, the bill on to our, our kids and grandkids, and as uh, somebody who worries about that kind of thing and what kind of world we're going to be leaving our children, uh, this uh, should be a moment that we all take uh, take a step back and, and really think about the consequences. And, and what has happened, though, is you have a situation in Washington where you have a president who has made promises that he would cut spending. Uh, and yet every time he's presented with, with a piece of legislation or sits down at the negotiating table, it doesn't seem that we're able to hold the line. So as a result, we keep busting through these caps that we put on the budget years ago. And uh, President Trump now uh, will top uh, President Obama as, uh, as a bigger spender. And who, who would have thought that in 2016 when uh, we were having these conversations about uh, the, the next leader of the free world? No kidding. Do you think the average American thinks much about the national uh, debt? I don't think they do, yeah. and and here's why, Bill, because we've talked for so long as conservatives about uh, the, the far-reaching implications in the future, and uh, let's face it, I was just doing it a moment ago, and yet I don't think people recognize – what that means. I mean, you, you could take any number of issues. Uh, take Social Security, for instance. I mean, we've been told as a generation, at least my generation, that we shouldn't expect it uh, to be there for, for us when, when we retire. And so I think we've started to make plan, alternative plans. Well, frankly, no one's talking about this issue or, help, or is able to break through or convey the severity of it. I, I think unless it hits you in your own pocketbook, uh, you look at the national debt and you say, well, that's not really affecting me. It's not affecting you know, my, my credit line. It's not uh, having implications in me being able to put food on the table. And so uh, there, you're really kind of separated from from the consequences of that. And unlike healthcare, where the government's decisions may have real-life consequences on a day-to-day basis in terms of what doctors you're, you're choosing or uh, the insurance premiums you're paying, I mean, the national debt really hasn't had that kind of impact. I think it will. There will be a day of reckoning in the future. But right now, people just, uh, it's not, you know, the top of mind issue on there uh, that they're focused on. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, as we talk about big hikes in minimum wage pay, and I know as minimum wage goes up, so do related payroll costs. And, and you know, employers, they're in a squeeze. They, I don't know if they can pay more, um, you know, no matter, no matter what the minimum rate is. They'll either yeah. cut jo- hours or they'll cut jobs. That's right. And in fact, it'll probably be, you know, some of the people who need those jobs the most who end up uh, hurting uh, the biggest. Because what's going to happen is unless you make about thirty five to thirty eight thousand dollars, unless unless you you can provide that value to a company, they may look for other sources to do that. And in some cases, we've already seen this. I mean, you go to one of the big box stores today. Uh, I, I saw this change recently at my local Home Depot. You now go to the checkout line. And it's all of the automated self-checkout registers there. Instead of having, I don't know, maybe half a dozen uh, cashiers there, there's now one person, and there are a bunch of uh, the self-checkout. Now, it may make the whole thing go efficient, or you may dislike it greatly, but let's face it. uh, These companies are finding ways to cut human labor, in this case the cashiers, and and replace it with automation and, and using computers. So I think you're going to continue to see that. You're going to see it at fast food restaurants. You're going to see it at those places where, where maybe uh, you know, a high schooler is looking to have a job. Uh, these companies aren't going
going to to hire a, a high school student or somebody on the low end who they don't think they can get the value for. And so they're going to be disproportionately affected. And Bill, let's face it here. At the end of the day, should Washington really be telling these companies how much it should be paying its employees? I mean, at, 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 at the, the very least, you think that, uh, that you'd want this to be pushed down to the most local level so local communities could decide. But ideally, you would have the businesses themselves respond to the market pressure. I think that we've seen that in some cases where companies have been forced to do that. Bernie Sanders himself, uh, as a presidential candidate, got into hot water with his own uh, campaign workers and was just forced this week. Uh, to make some concessions to them because the market pressure forced him to do so. So that's the best way to make these play out, not to have the government come in and step in and tell you how to do it. Mm -hmm. Is the minimum wage, does it have any effect on high school education? Well, uh, you know, it it, it certainly has an effect in that, uh, you know, a high school – High school workers are the ones who benefit significantly from it because they're they're the ones uh, who um, are going to lose out if uh, if you know they they suddenly do this. Bill, let me take you back to my own personal situation. Okay, so here I am, a high school student. I uh, I actually had just graduated high school and I was looking for a summer job and I, I ended up getting hired by the Clinton Courier in upstate New York as a small weekly newspaper, and uh, I I was I was. It, making the minimum wage. I mean, I was making the lowest that they could possibly pay me. They could not afford to pay me what the equivalent of $15 an hour would be, and nor would I probably be delivering that amount of value in the type of work I was doing. <laughs> I love your honesty, I mean, Rob. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I, 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 I'm just starting out in my career. I don't have the right. experience of, of a Bill Arnold or, or, or you know, a, a Jared Stepman or, or a Tommy Binion or, or these other people who, you know, you have from Heritage Foundation on your program. Uh, you know, it takes time to, to gain that knowledge and those skills. And so I think that's why it's going to have a disproportionate effect primarily on, on those types of workers. And, and yes, uh, you know, I think that uh, the best way to do this, this is why I, I always think that the market is, is the best solution and why the government should, should keep its hands out, because it will have, it will have an impact. Uh, you know, and you, you might have an effect where people even, uh, you know, make alternative decisions in terms of their own education. And I think that would be detrimental if they decided that uh, they, they didn't want to necessarily pursue a degree or, or even college as a result of some of the changes that the government is mandating. Yeah, I was just thinking about high school kids. They, they, you know, they're maybe they're 16 and they, they hate high school and they think, I get a job for $15 an hour or $18 an hour. That's it's not even worth finishing high school because I can start making money now. But that's not going to be good down the road. That's right. I, I I agree with you. I mean, it is it is going to have uh, consequences that I, I don't think are intended. Look, there are already some members of Congress who, who want this to go higher. I mean, they are not content with $15, which would double the, the current minimum wage. So uh, you're going to continue to see the left push on this. And I think that uh, it's, it's one of those debates that um, – you know, at the end of the day, uh, the small business owners and those who, who have to face the consequences directly and, and understand that at the end of the day, you need to, to balance your books or you're, you're going to go out of business. Um, you know, there there are implications here. And I did see that, that someone is uh, trying to get $20 an hour now. And I, I think, well, why stop there? Why not 60 bucks an hour? That would make it really nice. Well, it would. And, and look, there are other radical proposals out there that would, would completely uh, blow the minimum wage debate out of the water. Uh, universal basic income. There's uh, you know people who advocate 
that uh, the government should just pay everybody a, a, an income, mm-hmm. and then that would eliminate the need uh, for, for, I guess, some of the welfare programs. If any, everybody just got a share of it, uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's we're having this this conversation, Bill, on the same day that the Trump administration has closed a loophole for food stamps. Because did you know that millionaires are actually able to, in some cases, get food stamps? There are 34 states, and Minnesota is one of them, Bill, wow. that do not look at your full assets. When it comes to determining uh, food stamps, they they look at uh, you know just what the income is. So you could have a million dollars in the bank, but if you're in a you know working at a at a part time job at McDonald's or or some other uh, some other retailer, uh, you you could go and apply at your county for food stamps, and right now you you could be uh, approved for it. So the Trump administration is trying to, to close that that loophole, and they're uh, they're taking the first steps to do that today. But I think that these are the types of reforms. They can provide some fairness and equity as opposed to drastic proposals like a universal basic income or the minimum wage increase. Would anyone disagree with this idea that there is a potential for abuse with government programs and it could be out of control? I I think that you would find widespread agreement across the political aisle on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is oftentimes uh, the reference waste, fraud, and abuse. You can find that in a number of uh, uh, floor speeches from members of Congress. Here's the challenge, Bill. When it comes to actually dealing with it and and cleaning up that waste, fraud, and abuse, that's where you oftentimes run into problems. Nobody uh, necessarily likes the the solutions that the other side proposes uh, because maybe it's going after a parochial interest or a pet project that somebody else has. And so then you find yourself in a stalemate where you don't have, uh, have, have the ability to overcome some of these challenges. We're actually at the Heritage Foundation and Daily Signal working with uh, Senator Rick Scott of Florida uh, to spotlight some of these programs. Every uh, Wednesday he visits us and we do a video about how Washington is wasting your money. And uh, we, uh, we have a new one coming out tomorrow, in fact, and it's going to be on the, the issue of return on investment. And when he was governor of Florida, he said that he, when he would evaluate a program, he would ask, what is the return on investment for this program? That's what a business would ask. So mm-hmm. why shouldn't the government be asking these types of things? And that's how you go about finding that waste, fraud, and abuse, and you eliminate it because you have to uh, meet a certain threshold and you have to show the taxpayer that you're having a good return on investment. Yeah, I'm going to take a little break. Rob Blue is my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com, learn all about it. Take a short break and be right back. So Rob Blue is my guest, and we talk on Tuesdays. I always look forward to it. He lives in Washington, D.C., and he's uh, got his finger on the pulse of everything that's going on, and I always appreciate his perspective. Uh, I was just uh, thinking about, you know, minimum wage and, and some of the ways in which, you know, the some politicians want to give everyone a $1,000 a month guaranteed income from the government and, you know, said it's going to be paid for by a value-added tax which means everything you buy has this added. Are you really ahead? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I don't know that there's any particular tax where, <laughs> where the taxpayer <laughs> comes out ahead, but uh, there are certainly different forms that, uh, that, that this takes. And, and let's face it, we all end up paying some sort of tax. Uh, now, some states do it differently. Uh, there, some states don't have an income tax, for instance, uh, you know, and uh, some states may have higher sales taxes. I was just visiting my back home where I grew up in upstate New York, they have a particularly high sales tax. It's certainly much higher than Virginia. So, I mean, that hits uh, 
it's the homeowners and uh, property owners there. They're have higher property taxes another way. So there are some proposals out there, Bill, that would say, oh, let's get rid of all these other taxes and we'll just go to a value-added tax or we'll go to to another tax. And that's where you get, I think, into the situation because will you affect will you effectively eliminate those other taxes or does it just get added on to all the rest and you find yourself paying for it? Here's the interesting thing. You know, we often hear about uh, how glorious it is to live in these uh, Scandinavian countries, uh, you know, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, all these these, these places that are painted as a, a great picture. Uh, they're actually not socialists, by the way. What they do, though, is they highly tax their residents. And I don't know, despite what we've heard from some presidential candidates, that the Americans are going to want to pay those higher taxes. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, uh, revisit uh, some of Nancy Pelosi's most recent problems. Well, <laughs> where to begin? <laughs> uh, I mean, first of all, uh, let's start with what's happening today. I mean, she's just negotiated this budget deal with mm-hmm. the Trump administration, and she's got her hands full trying to get the, the votes in the House because you have conservative Republicans who don't like it, and you also have people on her left flank who don't like it. They uh, they would not they would prefer not to give anything to President Trump. Uh, they do just per, per prefer, I think, uh, to to stymie at every every move and to, to throw up roadblocks. And so. Uh, she's going to have to rely on probably moderate Republicans, moderate Democrats to get this through her House. Um, on the same, at the same time, you're you're absolutely correct. President Trump has distracted from the conflict that she was having with uh, the so-called squad, the uh, the four members of the the liberal wing, the four freshman members who have been feuding with Pelosi. So he temporarily, um, you know, maybe masked over some of the difficulties they're having. But there are some serious challenges. I mean, with uh, with Robert Mueller coming to testify, you better believe that there. There's going to be a renewed focus on impeachment, and Pelosi would prefer to talk about anything but impeachment. And yet here we are tomorrow. We're going to probably be hearing nothing but impeachment from these Democrats. Mm -hmm. Any new information do you think they will get out of Mueller? I highly doubt it. I mean, he is somebody who has stood before the press not too long ago and said that uh, the report speaks for itself. There's nothing new that he can add. The Justice Department has asked him to stick to uh, to that uh, for the testimony tomorrow. But uh, let's face it, even just reading the report verbatim will give new ammunition to those who want to impeach President Trump. Uh, there are many Americans who have not spent the time looking at the report and in, in, the, in the detail that probably uh, some people on Capitol Hill, Hill, Hill have. And so you'll have a situation tomorrow where Mueller will um, will be uh, giving them new fodder. And so even if he doesn't say anything new, Bill, I think he'll be saying things that they'll try to use against this president. And uh, and you will have uh, probably, you know, I would say maybe up, up to 100 members of Congress who now uh, demand impeachment. They did a vote yet last week and uh, came out to 90. So, you know, this is going to give ammunition to a few more who I think will come forward and uh, want to support a resolution. So do you think this is slightly more than political theater, having Robert Mueller testify? Well, you know, I mean, I, I think that there are some who genuinely believe that, that President Trump uh, is guilty of obstructing of justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there are those who still believe that he was in, in, in on collusion, uh, you know, despite what the report said. And so uh, for them, it's not political theater. For them, it's an opportunity to, to closely grill the person who was tasked with looking at this question. Uh, but a lot of it will come down to political theater. I mean, let's face it, we've seen this uh, over and over again for the past six, seven months in Congress, these oversight type hearings, where you've had members uh, just ask, Look for the spotlight and ask the questions uh, for for their moment of fame, and so part of it is uh, is certainly going to be that, and and uh, maybe we will learn something new. Uh, who knows? But uh, but based on Robert Mueller, I believe this is going to be the 
89th time that he has testified before Congress. He is an old pro at this, and he's not going to be tricked into anything uh, by these members. Mm -hmm. Rob, is America helping uh, boost religious freedom around the around the world? They're trying. I mean, this this administration has certainly made some important initiatives, uh, led by uh, Sam Brownback, who's the the international ambassador at the State Department. He's, of course, the former governor of Kansas, one of the most high-profile people to hold uh, that role as ambassador. I mean, he has uh, certainly done so. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence uh, last week was touting this as well. So this is an issue that uh, we've seen uh, confronted at home uh, with new threats to religious freedom popping up almost every day. I mean, it seems like there's no shortage of cases that that you and I have talked about uh, on the program over the past uh, few months, years. And uh, and certainly internationally, uh, this is a threat that uh, we see in places uh, stretching all across the globe, from China and uh, and the Muslim population there, the Uyghurs, uh, who are, are being persecuted to the Middle East, where it seems to be a perpetual problem. So, uh, yes, it is uh, certainly an issue that deserves more attention, and I'm glad to see the Trump administration shining a spotlight on it. Mm-hmm. Rob, when I think about what's going on at the battle of the of the border, and the reports are now coming out that President Trump has produced no new walls, um, and I heard him say that that's just not entirely at all true. Um, why are we having so much trouble getting good information about what's happening? <laughs> Well, I think that there's uh, the, the part of this is a political game as well. Okay. So uh, the Trump administration has been stymied by Congress in, in its effort to uh, significantly expand the wall. Now, there is construction of the wall ongoing. You are correct in, in that regard. It's not moving as as, as uh, quickly, I don't think, as the president would himself like. Uh, but there is new wall being constructed. But, uh, but yes, uh, some of that's being rebuilt. It's wall that was already existing in place, and it's being reinforced or being being rebuilt because it just needs uh, that type of maintenance. So it is difficult, uh, Bill, to get some of this information. But I think that there's more that goes into border security than just the wall. The wall is certainly important. It's the most visible element in terms of what President Trump has promised. But there are a lot of other steps that we can take in terms of support for the Border Patrol and uh, and other types of uh, mechanisms, whether it be, um, you know, chain link fencing and uh, and being able to uh, better surveil through technology. So there are different steps that we can take. And, and let's face it, the Trump administration itself has pointed to the compromise that it reached with Mexico in terms of dissuading some of the people from Guatemala and other Central American countries from ever making that trek. And uh, they're turning them away, and hopefully they never even um, make the trip through Mexico because uh, they're being stopped where they should and applying for asylum in the country where they first crossed that border. Mm -hmm. And then do we have another uh, debate coming up on the Democratic side? We do. Another 20 candidates. We turn off. <laughs> when ten, when ten is that? <laughs> uh, that debate's coming up next week, and uh, it's uh, it's going to be a big showdown. I mean, you have a situation where uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden will be squared up again, and you have Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And so, uh, you know, look, I think that at, at some point this is going to have to shrink to one stage. I mean, right, Bill? I, yeah, mean, I think so. There, there's only so much you can do over, over the course of, uh, you know, two different uh, sets of debates. And, uh, and and even if it expands maybe to 12 people on one stage, I mean, I don't know. At some point, you're going to want to see them uh, talking about the same issues. They can be such a different dynamic, as we saw from the first round of debates, which, which really seemed to knock Joe Biden down a peg, uh, at least if you believe the polling. Yeah, indeed. Rob, thank you so much for doing the show. It's a highlight of my week. Thanks, Bill. It's great to talk to you. Yep. Rob Blue, he's been my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal.
great uh, website. Go to dailysignal.com to learn more. We'll take a short break and be right back. is my guest. I'm looking forward to chatting with him, looking forward to meeting him. He's written a book called Assured, Discover Grace, Let Go of Guilt, and Rest in Your Salvation. He is a senior pastor at Third Avenue Baptist Church in downtown Louisville. Hope I said that right. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. It's great to be with you. How do I, how you do got I say- close on it. It's, it's Louisville. Louisville. But you were close enough, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get it nice wrong. Job. I don't want to start off on the wrong foot. You're killing it with this book, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. I'm glad it's, uh, glad it's encouraging to people. Yeah, I love, uh, I love your endorsements, uh, Matt and, and Al Moeller. And, and I just think that as believers, we're always, uh, always better off if we rest assured in what the Bible says about our salvation and just um, do exactly what you say. Discover grace, let go of guilt, and rest in your salvation. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think, I think assurance of salvation is one of those questions that every Christian wrestles with at some level, at some point in life. And so, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a, it's a hope filled message that the Bible gives us that we ought to be able to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that eternity is ours because of what Christ has done. Mm -hmm. I don't know why some believers don't want it to be true. I don't get that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know that they don't want it to. It's just that they often look at their own lives and, you know, see that they're not perfect yet, see that they still struggle with sin, and it, it causes fear to rise up in their hearts. Yeah. So wh- uh, why do you think, Greg, that believers maybe at some point um, in their life wrestle with the with their assurance issue? Yeah, well, I, I've been a, a senior pastor of a church for, for about nine years now, and so you know, like any pastor, I've had dozens and dozens of conversations about this, but it, it seems to come down to a lot of things. Uh, you know, some Christians will get uh, a misunderstanding of a particular Bible passage in mind, uh, the uh, sin against the Holy Spirit or something like that, and they just need some clarification on that. Um, a lot of times, though, it's just a sort of existential fear that, you know, our lives aren't good enough, our, mm-hmm. our works are not are not fruitful enough to make us kind of worthy of the salvation that, that God has bought for us. But of course, that's the whole point of the gospel too, that you are not, and you never will be worthy of that salvation. Mm-hmm. I love when you talk about the driving sources of assurance, maybe we can go over that a little bit. Cause that's, I'd love to hear what it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. 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 As I read the new Testament, I see four different sort of sources or fountains of assurance that the Bible holds out to us. Um, Two of those, I think, are kind of driving sources. They're like the accelerator on a car, uh, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ and then the promises of God. So if you want more assurance in your life, if you want, to, if you want more confidence in Jesus, you have to put weight and, and focus on those two driving sources. You've got to understand the gospel better, and you've got to understand the promises of God better. And as you do, what you find is that you, you start being more and more confident in Jesus. So, so those are the two driving ones. I, I think there's another source that the Bible holds out to us, and that's looking at our own good works. So self-examination or food inspection. And that works kind of like the speedometer on a car, right? It can, it can reflect to you how things are going, but you can't make the car go faster by just pushing the needle up on the, 
on the speedometer, and you can't make yourself more confident in Jesus just by doing a few more good things or a few less bad things either. Greg, when you uh, you said something just uh, 30 seconds ago, which um, I want you to talk more about, when you, you talked about God's promises, how often do people misunderstand what God's promises are? They hold God to something that he never promised, then they feel disappointed, and then they start to wonder, hmm, I wonder if I even am saved. Oh, yeah. See, that's, that's one half of the problem, is, is promising ourselves something that God never promised us. Right. So, for example, the, the prosperity gospel that is sweeping the world right now, uh, prosperity preachers will tell believers that, uh, that a mark of salvation is that you're going to be happy, wealthy, and healthy, right? And then when, uh, but there's no such promise in the Bible. And so when those good circumstances don't, don't happen for us, uh, it, can cause us to, it can cause us to doubt our salvation uh, in a really horrible way. The, the other half of it, though, is, is not actually giving God credit for the promises that he has made. So, for example, when he, when he makes a promise, I will save everybody who comes to faith in Christ, we try to put some fine print on that, right? And we start asking questions like, well, what do you really mean by, by believe? What do you really mean by faith? And so that becomes a real problem. So what are some lies we're telling ourselves about our salvation that keeps us from feeling assured? Yeah, well, I think one of the main ones that we tell ourselves is that uh, and, and it comes from a misunderstanding of our, our gospel, the gospel, and that is that, that though Jesus may love us and Jesus may have done what's necessary to save us, he, he had to do it sort of over the objections of his judging, wrathful father, right? And so, so we may find ourselves in the throne room of God, in the presence of God, but our, our sin a lot of times is that it's just because Jesus dragged our sorry carcasses in there, and the father— <laughs> The Father really isn't joyful to have us, and so he's looking for reasons to kick us out even after we're saved. So what you've got to understand, though, is that that is not at all what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that, that the whole plan of redemption was birthed in the Father's heart of love for us, and so we have every right to be in his presence. And, you know, the prophet Zechariah even says that he rejoices over his redeemed people with singing. So I think once you understand that, there's not this any more nagging fear that God is looking for a reason to sort of, you know, execute the fine print on the contract of salvation and kick us out. Yeah. Greg, I get a lot of uh, text messages from believers that feel like they're they're a little anxious about salvation. They're, yeah. I don't know, you know, what it is exactly I could say to them to give them more confidence. I always say, go back into your word and study the promises that God has for you about eternal life. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, when, when someone comes to faith and they, the power of sin has been broken in their life um, and they feel like when they sin, now what happens? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think part of the problem is that we as Christians often don't understand the depth and hopelessness of our sin enough. Now, see, we have this idea that sin is, handleable it's manageable it's something that that really with god's help at least we can we can make work um we can get over it we can get past it but the problem is because that's not true we find ourselves failing and failing and failing over and over again and that erodes this sense of self-confidence that we want to have now here's the irony though if if you actually 
if you actually face up to the fact that your sin is is a hopeless mess, that you are absolutely never going to be able to beat it, well, then that's when you go looking for a Savior. And ironically, the fact that you're, you're facing up to the fact that your sin is always going to defeat you helps you to have hope in the Savior and your assurance and confidence in Him rather than in your own ability to beat your sin rises and you find yourself you find yourself with more assurance that you really are going to be saved not because of you but because of jesus yeah great we don't talk about personal holiness very often it doesn't seem that way what about the fruits of obedience mm-hmm. does that help with yeah, your assurance so does is. that yeah yeah the, the bible is real clear that we're to do do the work of of self-examination and that as we see fruits in our lives uh, you know, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all the rest of them, that will give us a sense of assurance that, wow, I can really see the, uh, the Spirit working in my life here. So the Bible teaches that in several different places. I just think a lot of times Christians mess up in the work of self-examination and, and fruit inspection, and we do, that in, we do that in several different ways. You know, sometimes we'll focus in on one rotten apple on the tree. And we'll let that one rotten apple, that one place that that is just persistent, you know, it's just, it's just a nagging, you know, sin in our lives. Um, We'll let that become the picture of our entire lives. And I don't think anywhere in the Bible uh, are we interested to do that. John in 1 John wants us to take a look, not just at one apple, but at the whole tree and see the trajectory of, of the Spirit's work in our lives. It, it is interesting that you would say that because, you know, if you ever go to a fair and, the, and you get a caricature artist that does a little sketch of you, they always try to find one feature on your face that can sort of blow out of proportion, right? Yeah, that's exactly so right. And we, we'll do that to ourselves. We do that to ourselves. And we look in the mirror yeah. and all we see is, you know, that thing that's out of proportion that we, we continue so to, yeah, we continue to listen to the, the lies that that is. And God does not want yeah. that, does he? No, no. In fact, you know, you don't want to... You don't want to take a Zoom photo of, <laughs> you know, the, the one bad apple on your tree. You right. want to use a wide-angle lens right. and take a picture of the whole work of God in your life. So let's talk about the, the presence of um, works and how good works does seem to fortify our sense of assurance. Is, there, mm-hmm. is, that, is, there, is that true, or is that something that we're just imagining? No, no, that's, that's part of what the Bible teaches about the, the purpose of good works. You know, they, they, they serve a dual function. You know, on the one hand, we can look at our lives and, and, and see the fruit of the Spirit in our, in our lives, and we can say, oh, hey, that, you know, that, that looks like the kind of thing that the Spirit does in a person's heart, and that should, that should help us kind of like a speedometer see that the car is moving in the right direction. On the other hand, if you look at the fruit of your life and it's, you know, it's all rotten or a, there's a general sense of no fruit, in your life, if you're not, you know, at any, at any level desiring the things of God or to be with the people of God, well, that ought to set off warning bells. You know, like if you if you think your car is moving, but you look down and you see it's, that the speedometer is at zero, well, something has gone wrong, right? Uh, you may be reading the speedometer wrong, or the car may not be moving, but that ought to be a warning bell for you. Mm-hmm. Greg, I know that there's a great passage in Romans, I think it's chapter 8, that talks about uh, the witness of the Spirit. Um, mm-hmm. that that the Holy Spirit does let us know that we are, in fact, children of God. Would you talk more about that? Because I think that's such an important piece of, the, of this yeah. whole discussion. Yeah, sure. So that's the fourth source of assurance that I see in the New Testament. There's, uh, 
there's the gospel itself. There's the promises of God, which those two things we ought to put focus and weight on. Then there are good works, which act like a speedometer. And then there's this other source of assurance uh, that is the witness of the Spirit himself. Um, Paul talks about it in Romans 8. He talks about it again in Galatians 4, 4 or 5. Um, and what he teaches there is that if you are a believer, the Spirit dwells in you. The, the, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus dwells in you, and he sheds abroad. This is the way Paul talks about it in Romans 5 sheds abroad in your soul as a believer the love of God so that you become sensible of it. You feel it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the thing about it is that that, that's, that witness of the Spirit, though it's, it's there for every single believer, can be stronger or weaker in your life depending on you know, the Lord's own choice, the circumstances of your life, uh, all those things. And I think what's, what's just really fascinating about it is that when the Bible talks about the witness of the Spirit, it seems to be strongest when we're going through difficult times in life. It's like when we need the witness of the Spirit the most, that's when he cries out the loudest that we are children of God. Well, that's really comforting to hear because there's a lot of yeah. people listening today that go, that's, a, that's, that's news for me today. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think it's enormously comforting, but that's the picture you know, in Romans 8, when Paul says that the Spirit cries out with our spirit, that we are children of God, it, you know, that's that's not happening, you know, on a spiritual, you know, Caribbean cruise. That's happening through the, the acrid smoke of spiritual warfare, and the Spirit is crying out when the believer is down on his hands and knees, you know, in, in trouble, in, in difficulty. Still, the Spirit cries out, you know, this is one of mine. So it's a beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love in your book, uh, you talk about some lies, and lie number four is God's opened a door of salvation, but he is largely indifferent regarding who walks through it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one that, that throws us a lot of times. You know, if you if you have a sense that, all right, so God has thrown open the doors of salvation, and, you know, every human being now is, is trying to crawl their way through it, and it, you'll get the idea that that sort of it's only the best humans that can, can crawl their way through that open door. And that, that God the Father, even Jesus maybe, is just standing there saying, well, y'all, y'all come if you can get here. You know? right. um, but, but that's not the biblical picture. Again, it's, it's less Jesus just opening the door and then standing there with his arms crossed as it is, you know, Jesus looking at his people, whom the Father gave to him from all eternity, and roaring off the throne and saying, I'm going to get them. I love them. I know them by name. That's what Paul means by God foreknew them. And and Jesus says, I'm going to get them. I'm going to do everything necessary to go get them. So it's a very personal and particular salvation that he wins for us. Mm-hmm. Greg, you've done some really nice thinking uh, in this book. It's been, uh, it's really nice to, well, to be learning more about it. Uh, Greg Gilbert is my guest. He's written a book, many books. Uh, you're part of um, uh, Nine Mark, is that right? Yeah, I've worked with them for uh, going on 20 years now. Yeah, is that Jonathan Lehman? Yep, Jonathan Lehman is the, uh, he's sort of the, he's, he's an editor, brains of the operation, yeah. Content, yeah. content creator, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, he's been on the Good show choice. a number of times. Great guy, great thinker. Um, I really mm-hmm. like Jonathan. Um, so I want to ask you a number of more questions, so don't go anywhere. But I do need to take a short break, uh, and I will be back with Greg Gilbert in just a minute. His book, again, is called Assured, Discover Grace, Let Go of Guilt, and Rest in Your Salvation. We'll be right back. 
I'm enjoying getting to know Greg Gilbert. First time on the show. He's a pastor in uh, Kentucky. He lives there with his wife, Mariah, his three kids. He likes uh, basketball, coffee, and Thai food. How hot can you go? <laughs> uh, well, you know, they've got a scale of one to five. I usually tell them to do it a seven. Wow. So pretty hot. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm all about it. <laughs> That's impressive. Anyway, we're talking about his book, Assured, Discover Grace, Let Go of Guilt, and Rest in Your Salvation. Uh, have, do, you, do you have a favorite Bible verse about, about assurance? Oh, favorite Bible verse. My goodness, there's yeah, so many. That must be I, you know, I, I think the one that, that cuts the root of a lot of our fears is John in 1 John saying, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So the, the ironic thing about First John is that it tends to terrify Christians because people think that John is, is trying to unsettle their faith. And he tells us right there in First John 5, 8, no, I'm actually writing these things to you so that you'll know that you have eternal life. He wants us to, to measure our lives up to his book and come away with the sense that, whew, yes, okay, I'm not like those, those false teachers that abandoned the church. I am a believer in Jesus, and now I know. Mm-hmm. What verse is that again, Greg? First John what? Isn't it, is it First John 5, 8, 5, 13? Yeah, yeah. I'll look it up. I'll look it up because I, I want to make sure I know that one uh, for memory because that's such a powerful verse. Um, yeah. So let's talk about uh, about ways that we can strengthen our our faith and, and enjoy yeah. this grace that comes pouring into our life that God wants us to have. Yeah, yeah, there are lots of ways to do that. One, like we've like we've talked about in the last segment, would be to put weight and focus on uh, the the gospel. Jesus, understand that better. You know, understand the depth of your own sin. Understand the uh, the amazing work that Jesus did on your behalf without your help. Um, put weight and focus on the promises of God. You know, understand that when He says, "I'm going to save everybody who comes to faith in Jesus," He actually means that. Right? There's no fine print. Mm-hmm. Um, being a member of a local church is a, is a huge thing because, you know, just for example, we are terrible, absolutely terrible at doing the work of self-examination alone. You know, Jeremiah tells us our hearts are, are deceitful above all things. And so the likelihood of us getting our self-examination correct on our own is just vanishingly low. So we need help with that. And that's, that's part of why the local church exists is to help us do the, the work of self-examination accurately. Mm-hmm. When you talk about understanding just how sinful we are, and I, I think when we have mm-hmm. discussions with people about sinfulness and sin, I think there's mm-hmm. uh, non-believers instantly think that, that we feel like we're on some kind of higher ground looking down. You, sinner, you. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, how do we better position the understanding in the eyes of non-believers to say, no, this is a... a condition that we're born with we're not i'm not on a higher ground looking down at you yeah it's such a it's such a, a horrible lie of satan that he uses to to turn christians who, who by definition are saying you know i'm spiritually bankrupt and and make us sound as if you know we think we're the opposite of morally spiritually bankrupt um so i it's really important to to pray that that the lord will help you understand that your sin is not just a uh, something to to manage. It's not something that you can beat on your own or even with help. Your sin, your, your, your sin is is a hopeless situation, and the only way to save you from it was for you know the Son of God to live and die and then rise again in your place. You know, it's it's not just a matter of doing a little bit better. You got to start the whole thing over and and let Jesus do it for you. Hmm. Um. 
whenever I look at a book title, you know, if you wrote a book called How to Not Eat the Entire Pint of Ice Cream, I would want to say to you, Greg, did you have a problem with that? Yeah. But you've written a book called Assured. Um, so did you at one point struggle with assurance in your life? Yeah, I have at various points. You know, for, for me, to be to be entirely honest with you, it a struggle with assurance has never been a debilitating thing for mm-hmm. me. And I, and I know it can be for a lot of Christians. I mean, well, I've talked with Christians, you know, over and over again for whom it, it really is a kind of daily struggle, existential kind of thing. I, I never struggled with it quite that much. Um, but I just had enough conversations with church members and other people that I thought, you know, I think there's some things I can say here that, that could be helpful to people if they are struggling with assurance. Mm-hmm. I love this uh, part in your book. It's on uh, page 144. It just talks about uh, a useful practice you have found for, you know, settling your faith and sense of assurance. And you go right back to the foundations. I don't think we do that enough. It's just back, back to the basics. So do I believe there is a God? Yes, I do. Do I believe Jesus of Nazareth really existed? Yes, I do. You go on and on like that. It's really a wonderful little practice. Yeah, I've used it over and over again in my life. And and part of what that's trying to do, Bill, is just get just get out from underneath the the sort of cloudy questions that we often find ourselves asking with regard to assurance, like, is my faith good enough? Or am I really believing in Jesus? Or, you know, what just all these cloudy questions that the Bible never asks, right? What it wants to know, the the questions that it presses on us are are the ones that you were just just looking at there and reading, do I believe that there's a God? Do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do I believe that He died? Do I believe that He died for sinners like me? And just build your faith up with with those building blocks, as you say to those to those questions. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And what you're doing is establishing your trust and reliance on Jesus. You know, I do in fact trust Him to save me from my from my sins. And, and that'll start to create a confidence in him, uh, far more than those cloudy questions of, is my faith good enough sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I love this little practice, I do want to hit a couple more. Um, mm-hmm. do I believe he really truly bodily rose from the dead? And you say, I do against all, against all odds. I actually do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's such a crazy thing, right? That it is. Would get up from the dead, but yeah. that's the linchpin of Christianity. Yeah, yeah. Do I believe I'm a sinner who needs to be saved? Yes. Do I mm-hmm. believe Jesus when he said, everyone who trusts in him will not perish? You get to mm-hmm. say yes this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And do I believe God when he said, Every, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? Yes, yes, yes. What a great, what a great little exercise. I've found it helpful in my life over and over again just to build my faith up from the from the you know sort of bedrock up you know just go back to the main questions do I believe that Jesus is who he says he is and do I believe that he can do what he says he can do yeah and just uh, with a minute or two that we have left uh, Greg I would love for you just to remind listeners how much Jesus loves them yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for the question. What an amazing thing. I mean, think about think about who Jesus is. He's the second person of the eternal Godhead, right? In perfect mm-hmm. 
relationship with his father and didn't have to do anything to save us. I mean, the incredible thing is that God created us. We as human beings rebelled against him, and he could have just, he could have just brushed his hands off, sent the whole human race to hell, and the angels in heaven would have applauded him for his justice. You know, and they would have said, thus always to those who rebel against, against their creator. But Jesus became human. He took on human nature irrevocably, right? I mean, it's not like he put on a human skin and then took it off when he got finished and went back to the, the state he was in before. No, he's human for, forever and ever. Uh, lived for us, died for us, rose again, and all of that was because of his love for us. It's an incredible thing to think about. Yeah, it is. Uh, you've been just a delight to have on the show, Greg. Thank you so much for uh, coming on, and I would love to chat with you again. Me too, brother. Thank you for yeah. having me. Yeah, you bet. Greg Gilbert's been my guest, and his book is called Assured. Discover grace, let go of guilt, and rest in your salvation. We'll take a little break, and then uh, we're going to wrap up Hour 1. Hour 2 is going to be filled with uh, Cal Beisner, the uh, creator and founder of the Stonewall, or um, Cornwall Creation <laughs> Alliance for Creation. You know, if you don't say that every day, it does get, um, gets a, get ahead of it. So we'll be back in a little bit with Hour 2. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.